0: Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed medical management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Dr. Marisa Charles. As we take up the topic today, we're going to be talking about breast cancer. You deal with a population of uh, predominantly Medicare eligible seniors. Uh, is breast cancer still an issue for some of your older women patients?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we we screen for breast cancer from age fifty to seventy-five. So, you know, that's the a, a good bunch of my patients that fall within that demographic that we talk a lot about breast cancer screening, and yes, we diagnose breast cancer sometimes. And I know that's going to be the topic that we're going to talk to Dr. Nabil about. And what about
0: males? Do you find many who are at risk for breast cancer?
1: I don't see, I have not in my practice seen a lot of males. It is possible for men to get breast cancer. It is much less common but definitely, if a male were to feel a mass or a, you know something of discomfort in the area, we would absolutely um, evaluate that.
0: Well, that's cool. Let's introduce our special guest today, Dr. Sylvia Nabil. Dr. Nabil is a physician at the USMD Arlington Oncology and Infusion Center in Arlington, Texas. She earned her medical degree at the National University of Science and Technology Army Medical College. Dr. Nabil completed her hematology oncology fellowship at the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center, Oklahoma City. And she completed her residency at Monmouth Medical Center in Long Branch, New Jersey. She's board certified in medical oncology and hematology. And Dr. Nabil, great to see you. Thanks for coming on WellMed Radio.
2: Ron, thank you for having me over.
0: Now, you chose a specialty uh, that uh, is very demanding Uh, but certainly can provide great health for patients. What led you into oncology and hematology?
2: Well, the cancer of medicine is, uh, especially at this time, a very exciting time to be in. Um, It's a field that uh, has dramatically evolved over the last 30 years. Uh, We have found more and more treatments uh, in regards to Um, new biologics, uh, immune therapies, uh, just uh, things that we can uh, target an individual um, depending on the characteristics of uh, his or her cancer. So we have been able to improve patients' quality of life with uh, providing them with better and better care in terms of cancer And uh, patients are living much longer um, with a better quality of life. And I think this is probably the best time to be in in cancer medicine.
0: And breast cancer is certainly one of those cancers that you have experience with. Uh, How widespread is breast cancer and how far have we come uh, uh, to provide remission or, and I don't think you like the word, a cure?
2: Well, I I think uh, the word cure can go very well with uh, especially breast cancer. So globally, breast cancer is the most frequently diagnosed cancer, um, leading to one of the, it's the highest uh, leading cause of uh, cancer death in women. Um, According to WHO, it's going to be, it's going to account for about 12% of all new annual cancer cases worldwide. So it's a very widespread cancer in USA. It's the most commonly diagnosed cancer in women, but the second leading cause of death in women um, with lung cancer being the first one. As far as breast cancer mortality is concerned, it's really dropped dramatically since the 1980s. And the reason for that is both earlier detection through screening, because now we diagnose cancer at an earlier stage, and also improvement in breast cancer treatment, which is responsible for this reduction in mortality. So most of the breast cancers that we are finding now through screening mammograms are potentially curable cancers, and our goal is to actually um, get rid of the cancer completely.
0: When you talk about curable cancers and, and breast cancer, that isn't something you would have talked about 10 or 15 years ago?
2: Uh, yes, probably not. So with the, the earlier detection through screening mammograms, which are very, very important, um, we are finding more and more cancers that are confined to the breast, and for this reason, um, better chances of cure.
0: And Dr. Charles, how often are are you seeing cancer come through the screening with mammograms? And I know you recommend mammograms for your patients.
1: Right. So you know the we recommend the mammograms from age fifty to seventy five, and we do it every one or two years. And a lot of my patients prefer to go ahead and continue to do their mammograms yearly. Um, I mean, I actually this morning just saw a patient who is uh, in the middle of breast cancer treatment. And so it is something that we see pretty frequently. Um, I mean, in in my practice, I would say maybe 5% of my patients that have either had an issue with breast cancer or are currently being treated. And how
0: is the patient with breast cancer doing?
1: She's doing very well. She's doing very well. But she did have to have a a complete mastectomy on one side. Um so you know, we can talk a little bit about the different treatments and the, the different um protocols that exist, you know, for treatment of breast cancer. But like Dr. Nabil said, because we screen we are able to identify breast cancers in much earlier stages, and so we are not seeing as many of the metastasized cancers, you know, that are already in other parts of the body. Um, we're diagnosing it when it's still confined to the breast, and that makes a big difference when it comes to the treatment.
0: Now, if you just joined us, I want to let you know you're listening to Wellman Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and we're talking with Dr. Sylvia Nabil. Uh, she is a, a hematologist. Uh, specializes in treating not only breast cancer, but I'm assuming other cancers as well. And you find her at the Arlington Oncology and Infusion Center in Arlington, Texas, part of USMD. And Dr. Nabil, uh, let's talk for for a moment about mammograms, because uh, there was a period of time where, uh, for whatever reason, the recommendations were changed. Uh, people uh, were not automatically uh, recommended to get a mammogram that they Uh, We're delaying mammograms. Where are we now?
2: So results from many um, decades of research, I would say clearly show that women who have regular mammograms are more likely to have breast cancer found early and they're less likely to need aggressive treatment, like, you know, a big surgery where you remove a breast, uh, a mastectomy that we just, you know, talked about uh, regarding a patient um, and uh, chemotherapy, and they're more likely to be cured. So I think, uh, um, Screening mammograms are more common now than before. Um, physicians and patients are educated uh, better now with the screening mammograms. We still have a lot of you know, uh, discrepancy regarding when to start screening mammograms. Expert guidelines vary in their recommendations about when to initiate screening and how frequently um, to screen average risk women. So most of the women in our population are average risk women, which means that they have less than 15% of uh, a lifetime risk of uh, developing breast cancer. Uh, very few or smaller number of women at, uh, are at a moderate or high risk, which means that they have more than a 20% risk of developing breast cancer in their lifetime. So the guidelines vary among both. Um, I would like to discuss the American Cancer Society guidelines and the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. Um, both of these uh, basically recommend mammograms. The, the guidelines between for women between 50 years of age and 74 years of age are the same, that all women should be getting, getting yearly or every other year mammogram. Uh, American Cancer Society basically recommends that between age 40 and 44, women should have the option to start screening with a mammogram every year. And And that would
0: give you a baseline.
2: That would give you a baseline. Absolutely. And uh, since I did a lot of breast cancer for five years of my practice, I highly advocate for that because my practice was really full of younger women in their early forties. That used to be my major practice. Then between age 45 and 54, all women should get mammograms every year. And then uh, for women who are 55 and older can choose to continue either yearly mammograms or they can switch to a mammogram every other year depending on their preferences and their values. And screening should continue as long as the woman is in good health and is expected to live at least 10 more years.
0: Now, guys don't get mammograms. Maybe we should. But we hear from the women who do that it is really painful Have we gotten to a point yet where the technology look at the smile on Dr. Charles's face, you know, where we're going and you can't see that as listeners, we do this show on zoom. So we all see each other. So Dr. Navia and we gotten to a point where the technology uh, is such that it doesn't have to squeeze the breast and cause pain. Yes. So
2: mammograms. So let me answer about the the men. So, about 1% of breast cancers happen in men, which is quite a low incidence. You know, one in maybe 830 men will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Uh, The highest risk for having breast cancer is being a woman and especially an aging woman. Um, So men usually have mammograms when they Actually, um, feel a difference in their breast, or something is concerning regarding their breast, and that's when we recommend men to have mammograms. Mammograms are low-dose x-rays of the breast um, among a variety of imaging modalities developed for breast cancer screening, which includes mammograms, ultrasound, or MRI mammogram is the best studied and the only imaging technique that has been shown to decrease breast cancer mortality as demonstrated in multiple uh, randomized trials. So that's basically the, the um, only thing that we recommend for women at average risk. Now, I do um, agree that uh, women are apprehensive regarding the the pain that may um, feel because of squeezing of the breast. But it's important to educate women that uh, um, the compression of the breast is really transient. Um, After the mammogram is done, the breast confirmed to to its original size and volume. Why is it important is to reduce motion artifact and to improve the image quality and also to reduce the amount of radiation required. And that's the, the technique for doing
0: that. So the good news is after the mammogram, the breast bounces back to what it was. Yes. We're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Maurice Charles. We're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Sabia Nabil. She is with the USMD Arlington Oncology and Infusion Center in Arlington, Texas. You're listening to WellMed Radio.
1: You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its Emotional Support Helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892.
0: Thank you for sticking with us right here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Maurice Charles. We're talking about cancer and breast cancer in particular with Dr. Sylvia Nabil. She is with the Arlington Oncology and Infusion Center, part of USMD in Arlington, Texas. And Dr. Charles, you had a question.
1: Oh, no, no. I was just gonna um, you know, confirm what Dr. Nibul was saying. So we were talking about the mammograms, and I do get a lot of patients that have that apprehension where they prefer um or they try to avoid having the mammogram for a period of time because they're worried about the pain. Um the, the mammograms, you know, like she said, it there is some discomfort when you're having the exam. And I've had a mammogram, so I can I can speak to that. Um, but it is very transient. You know, it's just enough for them to get a good picture. Um, It only takes a few seconds and then they're able to um, release, you know, the hold that they have on the breast tissue. Um, Of course, sometimes it can be a little bit of a pinch, especially if there's an area of question, you know, where they're thinking there might be something suspicious in a particular area and they have to get a little bit better picture. Sometimes they do have to kind of twist you around a little bit to get better images. But for the most part, um, mammograms are, you know, they're short lived, they're over very quickly. And um, they give us so much good information to try to prevent um, or, you know, diagnose in very, very early stages, uh, breast cancers.
0: Now, Dr. Neville, you've talked about a percentage of risk for women to uh, uh, develop breast cancer. How do we know, and which women are at greater risk than others?
2: Yes, so most of the risk assessment tools focus on uh, personal and family history. Um, the women who are usually at uh, average risk are the women who have a less than um, 20% chance of developing breast cancer in their, life, in their lifetime, according to the risk assessment tools. They do not have a history, a personal history of breast cancer. Or they do not have a very strong history of uh, um, strong family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Um, they do not have any pathogenic genetic mutation, like a BRCA1, BRCA2, which is the most common mutation. Um, none of their family members are known to carry this mutation. Uh, they do not have any atypical lesions in the breast which have already been biopsied. And then some other factors like uh, um, somebody who's who's never had uh, chest radiation between the age of 10 and 30, um, they do not carry any um, high-risk uh, syndromes like leif or Cowden syndrome. Uh, somebody who's uh, not been exposed to estrogen for a very long time, meaning um, p- women who are early um, are not early bloomers, and it, they start their menstruation later on. They've had multiple estrogen breaks uh, during their life, uh, uh, during their menstrual lifetime, with multiple pregnancies. Uh, somebody who's uh, uh, basically, you know, gone through um, menopause earlier. So those women are at average risk. The higher risk women are basically the opposite of these. Somebody who's had a history of breast cancer, uh, strong family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, somebody who's a known uh, genetic mutation carrier of BRCA1, BRCA2 or other pathogenic mutations, Uh, somebody who hasn't been tested themselves, but one of the family members carry that mutation, Uh, an individual who's had um, chest radiation for some reason before the age of 30, Uh, somebody in their family or themselves have... uh, have been diagnosed with a high-risk uh, syndrome like, you know, Lee Fermani and all those syndromes. So those those are the women who are at higher risk. But those, the number is very, very less. Most of the women are at average risk of, uh, um, of developing breast cancer in their lifetimes.
0: Now, I wasn't understanding the syndrome you were talking about. What is that?
2: So those are specific syndromes uh, that uh, have a... Um, a change in the genetic mutation that we can inherit from our mothers or fathers, and uh, those syndromes carry different kinds of cancers and different kind of clinical symptoms, so those are very, very rare, um, and uh, you know those are complex symptoms but but the risk assessment tools usually lead us to Understanding if someone is at a higher risk or not, because the family history is very, very important. Um, and most of the questions that we ask on the risk assessment tools is depending on the family members and especially the uh, uh, especially um, the first degree relatives like parents. I was going to mention yeah. Yes.
1: No, I was just going to just reiterate about the the family members because we're really looking for people. have first degree relatives. So if your mother had breast cancer, if your sister has had breast cancer, that does, you know, increase your risk and makes it much more likely um, for you to have one of those syndromes or one of those genetic um, conditions, which most people don't know if they have those. But if they have a first degree relative, who has struggled with that or has been diagnosed with breast cancer themselves, then those people need to be even more vigilant um, with getting those yearly mammogram screenings. And, you know, Um, so Dr. Um, Nabil, what is the recommendation now for self-breast exams?
2: So um, the self-breast exam does not take place uh, the screening mammography. Even the clinical breast exams done by a physician Uh, does not take the place of screening mammography. Um, There's no clinical um, evidence that uh, um, a self-breast exam or a clinical breast exam by a physician uh, can actually take the place of screening mammography. So we still recommend uh, screening mammography according to the risk factor of a woman. However, women should be educated very well regarding their breast and they should be aware of their breast and should uh, um, bring forth any uh, concerns that, or any changes that they may notice in their breast during, uh, um, during their lifetime. But a self-breast exam does not uh, take, the, um,
1: uh, take the place of a screening mammography at all.
0: But a self-breast exam can uncover a potential problem.
1: Yes. Another good thing is to mention, what are some of those changes that we might be suspicious of if we were to notice them on a breast exam? It's a good question.
2: So any uh, change in the size of the breast, for example, a contraction of a breast or, you know, the breast becoming uh, bigger because of swelling, um, more uh, fluid, all of those things, any nipple discharge that can be a clear nipple discharge or a Um or a um, bloody nipple discharge, um, any lumps that you may have felt, any um, um, any changes in the skin. Um, If you have any pain in the breast, uh, um, if you uh, notice that the 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 breast is uh, is itchy and you need to kind of you know uh, constantly scratch your breast, anything that basically is not something that align with your everyday. Um, feeling of your breast or everyday, you know, breast that you are aware of.
0: Talk to us about skin because I've heard that before and I'm not quite understanding what kind of changes uh, would indicate a potential problem. But if you see changes in in the skin on your breast, uh, that's a warning sign?
2: Um, Yes, I would say any changes in the skin of the breast or the breast itself should be reported to the physician.
1: I agree.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about uh, if you have cancer, uh, if you need uh, and the decision is made to do a mastectomy, we have a good friend here in San Antonio uh, who was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she opted to have a double mastectomy as preventative. Cancer was in only one breast, but she figured, you know, why risk it in the other one?
2: Yes. So uh, the breast cancer, as I said, is a potentially curable cancer unless it is stage 4 and it is treated with a really a multidisciplinary approach that involves surgical oncology that 's uh, responsible for surgery, medical oncology as well as radiation oncology and all the multi d approach has been associated with a reduction in breast cancer mortality now, when we talk about uh, the approach to cancer treatment, especially in breast cancer, um, we need to understand that the sequence of uh, Sequence of how we offer treatment depends really on the characteristics of the tumor itself and the characteristics of the patient. Um, The only curative treatment for breast cancer is surgical resection, where we cut the tumor and we separate it from the body. There are two kinds of surgical modalities. One is a mastectomy where we remove the whole breast, and the second is a lumpectomy, where we just remove the part of the breast that carries the cancer. Um, now, in the older days, we, um, we used to um, do a lot of mastectomies. We would remove the breast that carries the cancer. And a lot of times, you would remove the other breast as well uh, to get rid of the breast, thinking that the cancer is basically not going to come back. That is really not true in, in this day and age. We've had several studies that, that have shown that breast conserving therapy is, uh, is uh, equivalent to a mastectomy. So a breast-conserving therapy comprises of a breast-conserving surgery, which is a lumpectomy, and it's followed by radiation. So the goals of breast-conserving therapy is to provide the survival equivalent of a mastectomy, um, but with a cosmetically accept- acceptable breast. Um, so what happens is that it gives patients a chance to preserve their breast without sacrificing oncologic outcome, and a lot of studies have shown that uh, if it's not superior, it's definitely demonstrated equivalent disease-free and overall survival between mastectomy and breast conserving therapy, and in some clinical trials, even you know better
1: uh, than a mastectomy. That's so interesting, Dr. Nabil, but. Well, thank you so much. I think that we're about out of time.
0: We are. Thank you. It's been a delight talking with you. And although it's a difficult topic, I think you provided some great information for our listeners. And they can share that with their families as well. And you can always download the podcast of WellMed Radio and you can share it widely. If you want to hear the podcast, just Google WellMed Radio podcast and they will pop up. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Thank you to Dr. Sabia Nabil. You've been listening to WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.